0: Let's go to God in prayer before we go to his word. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your spirit's help, that he might give us understanding, that he might sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. So bless your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not the destination, it's the journey. What do you think about that? Isn't it the destination that we all want? Right? Isn't it isn't it all about the arrival? Well, it kind of depends on the destination, actually. Right? Sometimes it really is about the journey. Well, when you take your last breath, what do you think will matter most? More importantly, what matters to God? Your arrival or how you travel? Well, it's both, of course. It is both. But here's the good news of the gospel. If you're trusting in Christ and repenting of your sin, then on the cross, your sins were completely paid for by Jesus in His death. God will honor his son by bringing you all the way home. Your final destination is guaranteed. But how we travel matters. Not just for ourselves, but for those who travel with us. Where are you going right now in your life? How are you getting there? Our passage today is looking at one man's literal travel plans. But they teach us about what's ultimate in this life and how we're to live it in light of the end. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Romans chapter 15, verse 22. Romans 15, verse 22. And if you're using one of the church Bibles, you can find that on page 1009. 1009, if you're new to the Bible, the large bold numbers are the chapters, the smaller numbers are the verses... And this morning we're looking at verses 22 through 33. As a reminder, just as we come to the end of Romans here, Paul has summarized the good news about Jesus in chapters 1 through 11. That even though we've all rebelled against God and we deserve His wrath... Jesus has come to live a perfect life for us and then to die on the cross to suffer for our sins and pay the penalty in full. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And in Christ, we're free from sin's tyranny, alive to God's Spirit, adopted into His family, and promised eternal life in His presence. That's the Christian faith. We call it the gospel. It's good news for sinners like us. But part of Paul's goal in writing this letter is to advance the obedience of faith. So in chapters 12 through 15, he describes true worship in the life of a Christian. It's a life that's lived in view of God's mercy. We offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, which means that we use our spiritual gifts to serve others. That we love even our enemies, like Jesus loves us. We fulfill our obligations to Jesus in every area of our life, and we maintain unity in the body of Christ. This kind of faith-filled obedience brings glory to God, and it has a missional effect in this world. Because as others see our lives, it invites them to join in in praising God. So now, as we come to the end of chapter 15, having expounded on the faith and exhorting the church to live in obedience to faith, Paul gets real personal. It's a letter. And he's asking for this church's partnership in doing the work of the gospel. We're not here just biding our time on earth. We're actually going somewhere. We're to be on mission as the church. Last week, we talked about working for gospel fruit in our church and beyond. This week, Paul turns our attention to supporting that work. So that's the goal of this passage. Support gospel work in the church and beyond. Support gospel work in the church and beyond. And if you're taking notes to help you listen and apply this passage, there are three ways in the text to support this work. First, give to missions. That's in verses 22 through 24. Give to missions. Second, give to churches. That's in verses 25 through 29. Give to churches. And third, pray for the work. That's in verses 30 through 33. Pray for the work. This is how we support gospel work in the church and beyond. Give to missions, give to churches, and pray for the work. So first, give to missions. Look at verse 22. That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through and be assisted by you for my journey there. Once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Paul's actually ending the letter just like he started it. Back in chapter 1, he says that he very much wants to see them. That he had often planned to visit them. And he's eager to preach the gospel to them and bless them spiritually just like he has everywhere else. So clearly, he's, he, he wants to, them to know that he's not avoiding them. The only reason he hasn't come to them yet is because of his aim in verses 20-21. through 21. To preach the gospel where it hasn't yet been preached. That's what verse 22 is referring to when he says, That is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. There was work to be done in these regions. To go to places where Christ hadn't been named. But now, verse 23, he no longer has any work to do in this area. From Jerusalem all the way up to and around Illyricum, Paul's preached the gospel and planted churches. Now, it's not that everyone there now believes in Christ and has become a Christian. But he's laid the foundation for the churches in these regions to continue to do the work. So now, he's ready to fulfill a desire that he's had for many years. He's going to come visit them in Rome on his way to Spain, where Christ still hasn't been named. That's his aim. to, To do what Jesus said and make disciples of all nations. To see people living in the darkness of their sin, see the light of Christ. For those who have not been told about Christ, to hear of Him, believe in Him, and be saved from God's wrath. I mean, what a great aim. What an aim, what a work. To let, get in the way of all your other desires and plans as it did for Paul. Just think about this work. Because he's going to where no one else has gone, people who right now are traveling towards hell to suffer the just judgment of God will believe. And as a result, those same people will spend eternity enjoying God's presence in a perfect world. Of all the good and meaningful and important things that we can do in this world and should do, In order to make people's lives better, nothing tops this work. And so Paul's going to keep doing it where no one else has. So next stop, once he's enjoyed their company for a little while, Spain. He's going to Spain. But in order to get there, verse 24, he needs their assistance. In other words, he needs money and provisions. Maybe some helpful companions for the trip. Because Paul can't do this work alone. He needs their support. And that's important for every church to see. John writes to a church in Third John, verse 6, saying, You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. This most important work, eternity-changing gospel work, isn't going to get supported by the government or by social activists. It's only supported by Christians in churches. We've got to send people As Paul said in Romans 10.13, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can someone preach unless they are sent? We've got to support missions if we're going to be a faithful church. And that means we've got to give up whatever resources that God has entrusted to us. That are needed for this work. Which might be our time. Our skills. And also our money. And whatever else God might have entrusted us that could support this work. It's how we become co-workers or partners with the truth of the gospel. The gospel that saves sinners from hell. And brings glory to God and everlasting joy in Him. Of course we want to give to that. What more could we want to give to? That's part of why we took up an offering earlier today. It's to support this kind of work. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, or if you're visiting for the first time, we're really glad you're here. And if you're thinking, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Churches only want your money. That's all they talk about. Well, we want you to know that we, we talk about it when the Bible does. And we've been working our way through Romans. And here we are, and it's talking about money. Um, but we really do mean what I said early in the service. We, we don't want you to feel obligated to give any time that you're visiting here. We're, we're much more happier with your presence. But with that said, our money is really important to God. Not because of money itself, but, but because of what it says about our hearts. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which means money is a good proxy for the values of your heart. Your money goes to the things and the places your heart is. And your heart will go to the things you invest in. That's why Jesus said you can't serve God and money, because it's like serving two masters. One's bound to come into conflict with the other, they have different plans and desires. And serving money is about getting treasures on earth. It's about using it for the immediate pleasures of this life. And serving God is about storing up treasures in his future kingdom. It's it's about living by faith in a coming reward. So, if instead of spending money on earthly treasures that we think will bring us temporary happiness we give our money to God's kingdom work to spread the gospel and strengthen the church, well, then we're living by faith and saying with our money that it's better for me in every way that I use this for God's glory. So what you do with your money says a lot about what's going on in your heart spiritually. If you don't like to talk about giving, it might mean that you love money too much if you feel superior to others because of the money that you have, or inferior to others because of the money you don't have, that might be an indication that you put more value on the things of this world than on the things of God. Which means that you might think you and God are good based on what you believe, or based on the kind of person that you think you are. But God requires you to worship Him with all of your heart. And so what you do with your money will tell the truth. If your heart is with Christ, then you're happy to see your money support His kingdom work. That's an eternal investment that you're happy to make. Because this world isn't forever. It's not our home. Everybody's just traveling through. Guys, some are headed for hell. And others are headed for heaven. And if that's where we're going, then we want to travel through this world in such a way that we show up with an offering to God. Which won't be more money on the day of Christ Jesus, but more people who bring Him praise. So we travel well by doing this work, but also by supporting this work. Which means we don't just give to missionaries, but we also give to churches. And that's our second way to support gospel work in the text, is to give to churches. Look at chapter 15, verse 25. Right now I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints, because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So before Paul gets to Rome and then goes on to Spain, he first has to go to Jerusalem to serve the saints. Not the ones the Catholic Church talks about, but simply Christians who make up the church in Jerusalem. That's who the saints are in the Bible. They are Christians. Now, why does he need to go there first? Well, it's in verse 26. Because the churches in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. This is one of the many places we see church partnerships in Scripture. That's churches helping other churches. And in this case, it's churches that have never met each other. Uh, probably never will in this life. And probably will never receive any material benefit in return. And yet, Second Corinthians chapter 8 tells us that these impoverished Gentile churches are giving generously with joy to their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem, who are also very poor. So, this isn't like the rich churches giving to the poor churches. These are poor Gentile churches giving to poor Jewish churches. And the Jewish churches were very poor. Not just because of the general economy at the time, but also because of the persecution they experienced. You might be able to imagine what this was like. Because you might think of the social pressures in our own business climate today. Due to certain political views, businesses and organizations might pull their, their product from, from a particular city. Or they might cancel an individual. Well, it's even worse for a Christian in a Jewish city under the rule of a pagan empire. In fact, there's evidence that the Jerusalem church even referred to itself as the poor. That's how bad it was. Their faith was a costly faith. Not like this fake version of Christianity we hear about today. Which says if your faith is strong enough and you do right, God will bless you and he'll make you rich, healthy, and successful. A a, a gospel message that uses God for our own glory. Which is the way that the worship of idols has always functioned. But thankfully, the true gospel has worked in these Gentile churches from Macedonia and Achaia. And in love for the people who brought them the gospel, they've taken up a large collection to help the church back in Jerusalem. So, again, it's churches largely made up of Gentiles, that's non-Jews, giving to the church largely made up of Jews in Jerusalem who already have the gospel. This is not an area where Christ hasn't been named. This is an area where Christ, the message of Christ first came. They already have the gospel. So why is Paul prioritizing this trip over his trip to Spain? Because that's what he's doing. He's putting off going to the nations because he first needs to get to Jerusalem to help the church there. Why is he doing that? Well, a couple of reasons. For one... This gift he brings in reality is a spiritual debt they owe. Remember what Paul said back in chapter 11? Not only has the Messiah come through the Jewish people to bless the world, but the way that God's blessing in Christ comes to the rest of the world is through God's partial hardening of Jewish hearts. Many Jews reject Christ. And in response, they persecute the small number of Jews who do believe. And as a result of that persecution, the gospel goes out to the Gentiles as people who are scattered there by the persecution. But even in the face of persecution, as they go to these places, they continue to share the gospel at risk to themselves. That's how the great gospel blessing of salvation comes to Gentile churches who have life in Christ now. So in Paul's mind, those churches are indebted to the Jewish church. So what we see here is that spiritual blessings sometimes get repaid with material blessings. The material things we value, like money, can help express our love and appreciation for the grace of God. And that reflects the gospel. Christ, who was rich, became poor for our sakes in order that we might enjoy the riches of God himself. He has richly blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So in thankfulness and love for Jesus, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. And one way we do that is by taking the monopoly money of this world and trading it in for the real treasures of heaven by supporting kingdom work. We express love for Jesus' name by giving to his work among his people and caring for them just as he has, just as he does. Paul's simply using an argument from the greater to the lesser. If the Gentiles received spiritual blessings from Jerusalem then the least they can do is share their material blessings. Now, I wonder if that sounds right to you. Is that really an argument from the greater to the lesser? In other words, here's a spiritual diagnostic question for your heart. What would you rather another church member give you? A large sum of money... Or spiritual truth that will shape your life? Which sweepstakes would you rather enter? One that will give you, promise you, a large sum of money, or one that will reward you with spiritual truth that will shape your life? If you're honest with yourself and you think, well, I'd, I'd rather have the money, I'll take that over the spiritual blessings. Well, that's a red flag. And if you're a Christian, you want to let that flag drive you this morning towards change. What are you seeing? What are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you experiencing that makes you believe money will pay out better than truth? Change those things. So that you start to become more influenced by the spirit of the word than the spirit of this world. But if you're not a Christian, I want to try and persuade you to be open to that truth. Because there are a lot of people who who have it all in this world, materially speaking. A lot of people that the rest of the world envies and would trade it all to feel loved. We've all seen riches only make people feel worse because they should be happy and they're not. No one wants to imitate the Hollywood tragedy or the Hollywood marriage. But in Christ, we're loved by God. We're declared righteous in His sight. We're adopted as His children. We're filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We're promised eternal life. Money can't buy that. Nothing money can buy compares to that. So if you're a Christian and you understand that, well then do you feel indebted towards those who shared the gospel with you? Or with those who've taken care of your soul and encouraged you spiritually? Kids, maybe that's your parents. You know, if your parents are raising you with a knowledge of the gospel... And they're bringing you to church regularly. Be thankful to God for them. Seek to honor your parents, show them your thankfulness. But maybe you're here and it's a friend that's discipled you, or just other Christians that have encouraged you with the word. Well, look for ways to express your thankfulness. Because remember, ultimately, as Christians, we've been forgiven an eternal debt of sin. And we should never feel like we we can pay off that debt of love. The way God likes for us, desires for us, to to make just one more payment on that endless debt is to show love to one another. And one way to do that is to look for ways to support Christ's work in His church and beyond. This kind of indebtedness that we're talking about is why these churches in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to give out of their own poverty to the poor back in Jerusalem. And in this case, the giving doesn't just help another church, but it also displays the power of the gospel. Okay, Just think about this. What if a a group of impoverished, war-torn Ukrainian churches sent a large sum of money to needy Christians back in Moscow right now? What would that say to the world about their allegiance to Christ first and their supernatural love to their Russian brothers and sisters? Okay, whatever that would communi- communicate, that's what I think Paul's trying to communicate with this Gentile offering. This, this group of people who's largely hated by Jews and for centuries have been at war with them to so, some sense, certainly enemies, and yet they're given a financial gift out of their own poverty. That speaks volumes about the truth of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. That's why Paul says that this gift is so important to supporting the gospel work in 2 Corinthians 9, 12-15. He writes, For the ministry of this service, that is, the financial gift, is not only supporting the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expression of thanks to God because of the proof Provided by this gift, they, that is the church in Jerusalem, will glorify God for your obedience to the gospel. That's what Paul's really after. The major goal here is displaying the supernatural power of the gospel in the love and unity between Jew and Gentile, resulting in the glory of God. It's not primarily about money, not for Paul, not for the Jerusalem church. Not for the Macedonians. The money's necessary, so he asks for it. But more importantly, he says it's the proof or the evidence that everyone's looking at as spiritual investigators and concludes the Spirit of God is at work here. The gospel is true. Paul's anticipating that when he delivers this gift to Jerusalem, people are going to praise God. That's what he's after. So then, the material blessing comes with spiritual blessing. Giving is worship, but it also produces worship. So no wonder Paul felt it necessary to add about 2,000 miles to his travels and personally deliver this gift at great risk to his life. It's because it's not just support. It's good, gospel, God-glorifying work. And it's not the first time he's done this. Ten years earlier, he and Barnabas had brought a similar gift to the church in Jerusalem, this time coming from Antioch because of a famine. And at that time, the Jerusalem leaders gave Paul their blessing to keep working among the Gentiles, but they only asked that he would remember the poor. And that's the very thing Paul said he was eager to do. And this is why. It's because it's gospel work. It's supporting the church. And in particular, the church where it all started. They're indebted. And so here he is, a decade later, still committed to that work, still risking his life because the unity of the church, the mission of the church, and the display of God's power in the gospel are like a trinity of the Spirit's work. But because it's the Spirit's work, we don't just support the work by giving, but by praying. And that brings us to the third way to support gospel work in the church and beyond. It's to pray. Pray for gospel work. Look at verse 30. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Now that's a powerful appeal in verse 30 to prayer. You really can't ground it in something stronger. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. Jesus Lord. We're we're called to live in obedience to Him. To be on mission in this gospel work. And His Spirit has made us one body. Our call to love one another is grounded in God's own love for us. So I can't think of a stronger way to appeal to someone. This is much bigger than, than Paul saying, if I have ever meant anything to you, You know, or if if you'll do this, please, I'll do anything. That's how we make appeals. This is much stronger. He appeals to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the love of the Holy Spirit. And what's he asking for? Prayer. Guys, you see what great importance that puts on prayer. Is there a stronger way... For Paul to communicate what he believes about the power of prayer. This is the strongest of appeals, and it's not for money. Which I think we all have a harder time asking for. But maybe that's because money is sadly more important to us than prayer is. Or because we see money as more crucial and effective to the work than prayer is. And so it needs to be a big deal for such a big ask, like for money. But not for Paul. He has no problem asking for money. He needs it, so he asks for it. It's just monopoly money. And you can trade it in for the treasure of heaven. So, help me out, give it to me, I'm on my way. Prayer though, that's much more than money. Prayer is the conduit of heaven through which the power of God works in the world and in us. And yet how easy it is for people not to pray. I mean, distraction from prayer, boredom in prayer, busyness in our day, or unbelief in our hearts, all make it easy not to pray. And of course, spiritual warfare is part of all those things. And so that's why Paul has to make such a strong appeal for the church to strive in prayer. To strive, to to agonize, to to work. Prayer is hard work. You can just think of Jacob wrestling all night long with God. Well, we're to strive or, or wrestle in prayer like that. And yet too often we treat prayer like we're just doorbell ditching God. You know, just, just ringing him real quick and then running away. Because we don't really expect him to answer, maybe. And yet Jesus tells us to persist in prayer. To just standing there at the door, knocking and knocking and knocking. Because it's what God loves to use to do his work in this world. It brings God glory when we first acknowledge, if this is going to happen, Lord, we need you to do it. And so He welcomes us, not to just ring the doorbell and run, but to strive at a door, knocking hard day after day, because as we do that, we, we bend our will to His, and we just proclaim with everything that we've got, Lord, we need you. And from that bended knee, it's just very clear That we've put God in a position to glorify himself. Prayer does that. And so when we pray like that, he loves to answer. Prayer like that helps us travel well. It equips us with his power for his work. And we're to do this together with fervent prayers. You know, where where souls are engaging with God. Where we're crying out to him, feeling our need for him. That's fervent prayer. Christian, you want to make sure that you're not just saying words. Just uttering rote prayers. But actually praying in your prayers. God's power is crucial to the work. Ian Bounds says that when we leave prayer out, we leave God out. And His work can't progress without Him. But prayer puts God's work in God's hands and keeps it there. Guys, there's nothing more supportive of gospel work than prayer. It's among the most loving acts of services that we can offer to the church and the world. In fact, we can can easily pass over that part of the appeal too quickly. The love of the Spirit. I know there are lots of ways that we can love one another. But lots of those ways come with a reward. You know you do something kind for someone, they make a big deal out of it, you see their joy, they thank you, that makes you happy. that's not bad that's a good thing but there's a kind of a there's a small reward that touches your act of love, but prayer is purely an act of love because when you're on your knees alone in secret prayer, you're doing that other person good without ever receiving anything back, at least not from them. But God sees it, and he'll reward you in heaven. So giving isn't the only way that we become a gospel partner in this passage. To pray for the worker is to join in the struggle of the work. So support gospel work here in this church by striving together in prayer, like we do each Sunday night. You know, I've said before that we're trying to build the church upon God's word but we'll know its strength based on Sunday night prayer. So I praise God for the women of this church who get together and pray for us. But even when we don't gather, we can do this together by each praying through the church directory. You know, Support the work that God's doing in this body by praying for the ministry of each member of this church. We're all on mission, working for gospel fruit. So work together and support one another by praying. And be intentional with this. Come up with a plan and pray specifically, just as Paul has three specific prayer requests for this church in verse 31. He first says, Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul used to be one of those unbelieving Jews that he's talking about. And when he was, he was going from house to house hunting down Christians. And so he's well aware that there are people who want to kill him. And he's been warned about it, he's been told, Don't go to Jerusalem. But in Acts 21.13, he says, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So he's willing to give up his life for this work. But since life is a gift from God, this, even this life, it's good to preserve it if you can. And so he's asking for physical protection. It's not unspiritual. And so you can, you can pray for physical needs, especially as it relates to gospel work. But then second, he says, Pray that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. We know that many of the Jewish brothers in Jerusalem were suspicious of Paul's mission to the Gentiles. Some of them thought it was their duty uh, to to win these new Gentile converts to a more faithful version of the faith, which was a more Jewish-looking faith. And so the fear here is that since this gift is coming from Gentiles, maybe it won't be well-received. And without that kind of acceptance, it calls Paul's whole ministry into question. Uh, The gospel won't be displayed and God won't be praised. You know, this is why we promise in our church covenant to work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We need to pray for this because if Christ is the reason that we're together of the church, then what does it mean when we're actually divided? So we pray. And we pray for other churches in the same way. Third, he prays that he may come to them in Rome with joy and be refreshed together with them. This is good to know. know, Gospel work is hard work. It's often physically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally draining work. And Paul knows that after this long journey and whatever happens in Jerusalem, he's going to need to be refreshed. And so he wants to come to them with joy. And for that kind of joy, he's going to need prayer. All of that is necessary for the work. And so we want to be that kind of refreshment to others. If the Bass family comes back here on furlough, we want to bless them. And we want to be that for one another. I love that I can say this whole church is doing ministry. I love seeing it. But if we're going to keep doing ministry like this, then we're going to need to be refreshed by one another's fellowship. And so I want to ask you to pray for our gatherings, that they would be full of the Spirit's refreshing power. Pray for godly friendships in the church and sweet times in our homes because sometimes we just need to enjoy one another's company just like Paul says in order that we might enjoy God and be refreshed by him okay so that's that's three requests important for the work of the gospel and if answered will lead to gospel work in Spain so were these prayers answered so we wrap up this time what happened to the work Well, we don't have any knowledge of what happened to the financial gift, but there's no reason to believe it wasn't well received. What about these other requests? Did did God rescue Paul from the unbelievers in Judea? Did he make it to Rome? It's a qualified yes. Like, yes and no, or yes but. When Paul arrived in Jerusalem, an angry mob nearly did kill him. But praise God, some Roman soldiers stepped in and stopped them, and then threw him into prison. Then, by God's providence, an assassination attempt on his life was uncovered, and he was secretly shipped out to Rome. But as he got to Rome, it's not exactly as he planned, because he's under house arrest. And yet, God provides for him there through the church. The end of the book of Acts tells us that Paul spent the next two years in his own rented house preaching the gospel unhindered. So yes, the prayers were answered. Just not the way Paul expected or desired. Which is almost how it always works, guys. Don't be discouraged by that. I mean, be encouraged by the fact that we have an example in Scripture (laughs) Of it happening with the Apostle Paul. It didn't go as he planned. Not exactly as he asked. And it's better that way. In the process of the way God answered it. Paul had a chance to openly. Preach the gospel before kings. Pagans and Caesar himself. So perhaps the reason Paul prays for the God of peace to be with him. Is because in the midst of a very difficult Christian journey. Filled with many trials along the way, Paul needed the peace of God. And he wants them to know the same thing on their journey so they won't give up doing and supporting gospel work. And really, that raises the final question Did Paul fulfill his dream and arrive in Spain to preach the gospel? Well, we don't know for sure. Modern scholarship seems to think that he never made it because he's killed in Rome under Nero. Tradition in the early church says that he did make it only to return to Rome. But I don't think it matters. Because for one, the gospel has gone well beyond Spain due to Paul's ministry. And more importantly, Paul aligned himself with God's will and did whatever was necessary to live in obedience to the faith. He traveled well. That's what mattered. The final destination didn't depend on God answering his prayer requests exactly as he asked for them. He knew that he could do what he wanted. And near the end of his life, he testified in 2 Timothy 4.8 that a crown of righteousness was reserved for him on that final day of Christ Jesus. Paul knew by faith the end. It's what helped him travel so well. we got to do the same. Even if, like Paul, it doesn't always go the way we'd like it to in this world, even if the journey is rough. John Newton once wrote to a suffering friend, do not be discouraged. Usefulness and trials, comforts and crosses, strength and exercise go together. But remember, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. When you get to heaven, you will not complain of the way by which the Lord brought you. Church, as we make our way towards our final destination, let's work for gospel fruit and let's support gospel work. Let's travel well. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would give us the strength to do just that. Lord, that we'd be faithful on this journey. That you would use us while we have the time that we might know the joy of seeing you praised with many others on that day. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.